Hello everyone, I am Deogasha Sokiro, your podcast host, and I am with Josephine Olok, my co-host. In this podcast, we talk about cybersecurity and how matters related with cybersecurity with big book reviews monthly. I am glad you made it. Josephine, how are you doing? Uh, fine, thank you, Deo. How are you doing? I'm okay. Uh, this week, we decided to review a book. Actually, it was last week where we were supposed to review the book, but anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, the book is called uh, The 21 Laws of Leadership by John C. Maxwell. And when I got this book, I, I was kind of occupied the first time, so I wasn't able to read it. But successfully, I was able to finish it. And yes, don't ask the how. <laughs> Speed reading uh, is a thing. I I used audio. I I I used an audio book for it. But that's a valid way of re- of reading, by the way. Yeah. Audio. Mm. Yeah. So and it was him who was literally reading the book so it was really a good one so um basically uh there are 21 irrefutable laws and uh, the way the book is arranged is uh you find that he has placed one by one starting from the first to the 21st and uh, basically he introduces it uses a story to relay uh the message then yeah that's how he does his thing and like any other most of the books so i think uh, i will dive into the first part of the question which is um let's start with the the first law which is the law of the lead if you could tell us a little bit about it it's the first law and uh yes but maybe before we go to the law, I just wanted to, for me to summarize what I felt was the essence of the book, uh, before we dive into the uh, the laws, because they, you know, you can think that twenty one laws I have to, if I'm going to be a leader, these are all uh, laws that I have to be good at. So I think first of all, it is uh, understanding what a leader is, um, and and I think he makes the distinction between a leader and a manager. Um, being a manager, you know, having a position will often give you influence over people, but they don't, if you, if you, the person who has that influence over people don't obey some of the laws, then you're not going to get, um, you're not going to be able to do much more with your influence. You're not going to be able to get people to follow you. Uh, so when you say, ask people to do things for you, they will not do it. Um, and if you try to change the way things are done, then you know, you'll get resistance. So basically, if you don't exercise that influence, you don't learn how to exercise that influence, you know, in a way, people will not be able to, to follow you. Uh, so to become a leader, you need to honor some of these laws. But because there are 21 laws, I think there are very many laws. Um, and I think uh, he does mention that as a leader, he found that a lot of leaders um, do a lot of things well. So rarely, where rarely do you find a very influential leader who has a, for instance, a bad uh, personal life or or things like that. So basically, it's saying that leaders have to have to try and do things very well. 
And then having said that, um, you cannot be good at all the 21 leaders as a leader. But what is, what's important is to be able to evaluate your leadership and say, out of these 21 laws, what am I good at? What, where are my gaps? And then appoint, exactly, then you appoint the people around you who can fill those gaps because that is effectively what, what leadership is. You recognize that there is a, you have a weakness and then you perhaps around um, yourself with people who will complement you in your leadership. Uh, of course, because there are laws, they can be learned, um, but they're all kind of interrelated. Uh, and and um, they are uh, definitely the foundation of leadership. So yeah, so I think that's that's what I got out of it uh, as my, because every time I read a book, I'm like, okay, so what did I get out of it? But that's essentially what I got out of it. I was initially uh, worried that I needed to be good at everything, all the 21 laws, but yeah, I was, so when I read it and I thought, okay, I don't have to be, I can, I can, I can evaluate my leadership and plug the gaps. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, the first question is, uh, uh, the first law, which is the law of the lead. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, yeah. So the lead is basically, um, your level of effectiveness. It's, it's, it's how far can you go? Um, um, and I think the best example that he's in, it's like, it's almost like you're in your leadership is, is limited by your vision. So some, you, it's like some people think vision is a big thing, but vision is also relative. Uh, I can be a leader and have a vision to, um, you know, to, to meet my targets. I can be a leader and have a vision to grow my business beyond Uganda or beyond wherever. So I think that is what the, the concept of a lead is. So I think the good example it gives there is the the McDonald's story, the founders of the brothers who were limited in their ability to see how how the franchise could grow. And then it was I think it was a gentleman called Knock, is it Knock? Who had the vision to to say to see that this thing could grow beyond just a few a few franchises and go, go across um across America. So essentially that's what, what the lead is. It's um it is it is being able to to see is how big your dream is how big is your vision you can you know your the, the, the McDonald brothers were limited by their vision uh in growing McDonald's. um and what I learned yeah, from that when it comes to that also because mm -hmm. if you go through the story you find that uh, they were having issues concerning scaling because yeah. yeah then they were able to innovate like having the paper plates instead of having the Meta, uh, the normal, you know, glass plates and uh, the drive throughs and all that. But when it came to like scaling it past their premises, was one of the biggest problems. So, yeah, and that was the lead of, to their vision. That was their lead. Do you find that if they would have, you know, got a team around them which was able to do that other section, it would have worked? out better well for them. Yeah, I mean and ultimately that's that 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 could have been the case, but I don't know whether if they had people below them who would have been they would have allowed that that to happen. 
I think it essentially took somebody, an outsider, like a croc. So it, I, I, I called him Knock before, Ray Croc, who, who was able to see that vision. Uh, because it, it was like an outsider and he was someone who perhaps they were able to look up to him and, 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 and so that he was able to do what he did. It would require some external, like the way you said at the beginning, require someone who you have to know your weakness as a leader. And uh, with you knowing that you're not able to scale, you bring in someone who is able to do that. Exactly. Yeah. So it leads us to the next question, which is um, when, when, uh, which law in leadership is significant for you? Which law stood out for you? Is um, significant in what sense? That it resonated or that I felt? Yeah, it resonates I, with I, you. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm a very process-driven person. So for me, I like I tick the box, especially on law process. I really, I really tick the box on law process, law process, because uh, when I tend to approach things, I like to have to have planned ahead, um, and to reevaluate the risks, which can often be seen as uh, perhaps a little bit too analytical, too detail oriented. But to me, that really ticked the box, and that the the example of Scott and um, and uh, the Niger the Norwegian uh, gentleman, I think that those ones really, really make sense. Um, I think the other one was uh, law, the law of navigation. I mean, the th thing is, there are so many, uh, but I think that was the one that really stood out to me. Um, but I, I also think it's it's important to have, uh, to to have some level of intuition, how you develop that is another thing. I think it's something that I'm really um, cautious that I need to, to actually um, tune into it. I think we all have intuition, but I don't know to what extent we, we actually use it. Um, and then having an inner circle and, and connection, but also being able to empower others. I think those are the, the, the ones that I would stood out for me. When it comes to inner circle, how is it important to you and you, how do you maintain your inner circle? Because I'm sure when you are scaling, any, as you are growing up, there are some people you used to hang out with, but with time you start to lose connection or they don't resonate with what you want to do. So to maintain your inner circle, you, you let go of others. So how did you under such situations and yeah. Are you asking how I, I build my inner circle? Yeah. And maintaining it. I think building my inner circle is of course it's it's one of those things which is um as you say you you start with people then some fall away and 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 the reason some fall away is because you you become of course you can become disconnected for whatever reason. But sometimes it's about um, not having the same goals and visions or not having big enough visions. So you perhaps you with people who, if you've, you've set yourself a vision of, of doing better than where you are, and then you with people who have known you uh, when you have not been better, people who don't 
give you the reinforcement you need to get better or people who are happy with, with me, being mediocre or whatever. I think that, that sometimes does things because the people who will pull you down, try and pull you down in your vision instead of supporting you. So having an inner circle is having people who you trust, who you respect and who support you in what you need to do. But it's also having uh, the, the people who will also be honest and tell you where you're going wrong. And, you know, that, that, that is the level of, that's what I call inner circle. Um, it takes time to build uh, a relationship to that level, but that's how I built my inner circle. Someone who can say, hey, you know, I think here you're not, you're not seeing. And, and somebody who knows you enough to know perhaps your blind spots and your weaknesses. So that if you're going into into an, an initiative and you have not perhaps thought through it, they'll be able to tell you. So so that is how I built my inner circle. But it is it is the the soft skills before the inter, intellectual stuff. So the intellectual stuff is good. You can have uh, people uh, who you you can talk intellectually with. Perhaps you're there in your industry or they they're in the same sector or whatever it is. But it has to start with having to be able to trust and connect with them. So um, now, like uh, when it comes to business or as uh, um, there are particular you know sections of administration, who is that someone who you will find has stood out for you in terms of? the administration and you'll be like, okay, this is the person who I go to. And when uh, it comes, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know if I one. understand the question. The question is, um, there's a particular individual who comes into your mind when it comes to administration. Administration in what sense? Like um, business administration. So like running a business? Yes. Yeah. So now like the way you have Loom Geo Consultants, who is that person you would trust that, okay, if I'm not around, this is the person who I can rely on for such a situation. And these are my reasons why I, I find that this person is a good leader for such a situation. Um. Yeah, that's a very that's a very tough one, Dale. Uh, I don't even know how to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was putting you on the spot. But yeah, it's I had a to tough point one. It somehow. And there are many parts to it. So, um, if I remember correctly, so the first part is I have a business partner. So the trust is hundred percent because we're both invested in the business. So the the trust is hundred percent because we, as I said, we founded the business together and. Um, you know, it's not in our interest to have a business fair. That's one. The second part was, okay, so if I have an issue with how the business is going, I think there's, it's good to have uh, mentors, uh, mentors in the industry. I'm not going to name any names. People who perhaps are doing the same thing, people who have done the same thing that you can go to. So that Mentorship is really important. Mentorship, coaching, but more mentorship. Who you can go to for advice. Um, and, and, and the thing is that advice needs to be, it doesn't have to be very specific to the issue. 
So, you know, you don't want to go and say, and, 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 and you need to be a little bit cautious about telling your business to every, everybody because um, the, met, the mentor may not be part of your inner circle. It could be somebody who, who, who provides you guidance on your journey, but may not be an inner circle. If it's inner circle, it's fine. Uh, but to be able to go and say this issue is really, really affecting me. These are the, the challenges I'm facing. How would you address it? How have you have you come across that in the past? Um, those kind of questions. So that's that's important. But but obviously you need to pick people that you connect to, people who uh, are happy to take your call. There's nothing there's nothing worse than saying this person is my mentor, but. Mm -hmm. You cannot even if if outside of uh say formal mentoring perhaps you meet once a month or whatever if outside of that time you can't call them then you know it becomes a little bit rigid it, it shouldn't be that rigid i think sometimes mentoring i found that the informal mentoring gives me much more um it it it, it, it gives me much more um uh support than the formal mentoring. The formal mentoring, I tend to over-prepare and I feel like it's it's an interview, I'm ticking boxes, you know, but the informal one, because it, it depends on what the issue is, you can ask anything. So, yeah, so I think that is the second the second part of your question. Now I've forgotten the third part, and I don't know if I've answered <laughs> them. Give me one person who has stood out for you in Lumja for as I said, that's my my partner, my business partner. That's yeah. Okay. Mm. Um. Next is um. When it comes to, uh, I think you've heard of the eighty twenty rule. Uh. Could you tell our audience about it and uh, how you have implemented it in terms of scheduling and all that, the Pareto rule? Pareto I think you, you, you understand it as well, right? Yeah. If, yeah. Do you want me to explain it for you? Yeah, I just want to, to see how up. you interpret it. Yes. Okay. Now, for the 80-20 rule is um, out of the tasks you usually do, uh, you get uh, value for the money from the 20% of the initiative question. So we find that most of the times people have this issue of doing so much. In fact, they talked about it in the book that uh, being active doesn't mean that you are progressing. So you might have so many things you are doing, but they are not returning anything, no return on investment. So yeah, that's basically the 80-20 rule. So focusing on key things which drive business, drive life, key important activities. So that's basically how the 80-20 rule. Yeah, so- I perceived it, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It, it's, it's, uh... I, I don't know if you read the book, 8020 Principle. Uh, there's a book, 8020 Principles. I forget the name of the author. When I read that book, I decided to, to try that. And, and it's not just in business, it happens in life as well. 
So essentially, it's a strange phenomenon, if you like, but that the twenty percent of 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 anything in your life that that is important, there's twenty percent of things in your life which give you like eighty percent return. So whatever it is, you find that uh, in business, twenty percent of your clients give you eighty percent of your return. Uh, it, it it's like it's it's just funny. It it applies to customers. So if you focus on those twenty percent and make sure that you retain those twenty percent, then you 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 kind of assure that at least if I get that right, that I'll, at least I've got my eighty percent return. Yeah. So it is what what how it is basically how do you make sure that you prioritize what's important in your life? That is it. So whether it is uh, your personal health, your relationships, and it's true that there's a few there's few people I I have few people in my life who who I I feel give me most the most return. So. Being an introvert, it means I have few people give me few, uh, most returns. So I, I focus my attention on those. I make sure that I nurture those relationships because I feel most uh, supported, most valued when I have those relationships. Um, so even the hobbies, you, you'll find that um, I, I, during COVID, I think I signed up to a lot of um, webinars because that was what we did in COVID, you know, Zoom calls. Cause you needed a distraction. Then after we started coming out of COVID, I was joining um, joining all these webinars and realizing that this is actually not giving me any value. I'm joining, I'm doing it, as you said, to be busy. Yeah, to stay busy, to distract or whatever. But the the few that I've now zeroed in on, when I when I listen to them, I get the most returns on what I want to do. So it it really does it really does apply in all areas of life, um, especially especially in business. It's 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 one of those things where when you get it, it becomes transforming. Then it means when you prioritize your lists, your to do lists, your um your returns, it has to be based on what is give give me the most returns. So, uh, I I'm I'm very good at, for instance. Uh, give, um, now scheduling my time that I will not spend more than um, one or one one hour or so on email. I read emails the way you speed 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 read this book. <laughs> I speed read emails, <laughs> but you cannot spend that much time. Uh, oh, I give myself uh, two days out of the week, one hour, one or two hours on social media. So you know because it's not a great return on social media is for me doesn't give me a good return. So you just prioritize your life so that you're giving, uh, you're prioritizing the most important things and giving that and which gives you the most return, and giving that your most most attention. Yeah. Um, I feel like you're also a person who is very good at timing, especially like in the book we have that law of timing, like choosing the right time to. <clears throat> To penetrate the the market and all that, I feel like you're one of those people who who has that intuition of you know timing. Why do you say that? I don't. 
Well, a good example would be this podcast. Like, very few people are on such platforms, but you picked an interest in it and you're like, oh, let's go and do it. And uh, yes, and like the way you told me you transitioned from Bloomberg Consultants from software development to fintech because of the the way the market was changing and you found that yes this is something which is going to be fruitful in the future that's actually a good at timing so what are those things which usually trigger you to be like ah, okay let's go with this i think it's Thank you for saying that, but I don't think it's me and timing. It's about sometimes about technology, uh, because when you look at how how the company started, okay, we saw there was a gap in the market in terms of having locally developed software. Most of the solutions on the market were off the shelf packages where you buy the solution and hope that it meets your needs, and a lot of times it didn't, but it was also expensive. So we looked at we, we saw there was there was an, a gap there where you you if if a customer wanted something very specific, you are able to then say we can develop it to actually meet your needs. So that is um uh I think it was exploiting opportunity. I don't know about timing. Then um with the transition into you know fintech and all that, I think it's more also more about the industry how things were changing, technology was changing. In web-based uh, application became easier to do. I mean, of course, with the internet, you had to start having web-based applications. So that that's one of the things. Um, even the career things, you know, uh, transitioning out of the corporate. I think that's just how it is. You know, you get to the end of your career, you uh, your corporate career, you um, and often it's it's about when you get to that stage, you have to assess. You know what do I do next? Because you know you you I was in the stage where I was um uh retrenched, retired, not retired, um in oil from oil and gas, but, uh restructured from oil and gas. So I found myself in a situation where I'd been full time in corporate environment, then having to assess what else do I need, what else do I what else can I do and what else do I want to do? Yeah, so, but I th- I thank you for saying that, but I don't, uh, I didn't really yeah, connect being with too timing. modest, but I, know. I, <laughs> I don't connect, I didn't connect very strongly with the timing because I was like, yeah, it's good to have it, but it's, it's, uh, I think it's a lack of the draw, honestly. But but thank you for saying that. I'll I'll assess again. I'll evaluate myself again on that. You're being too much of an introvert. <laughs> <laughs> I will evaluate myself further on that. Um. So, uh, at this stage of your career, do you do you do a lot of empowerment of people? Yes. Yes. It's in fact, it's um, I think that's one of the things that I was able to uh, to to realize that I needed to do something impactful after I left oil and gas. Um, and the best way to do that, I realized, and what gave me the highest return was when I was in uh, able to empower others. So, however, the however the opportunity presented itself, 
initially I didn't do formal um, mentoring, uh, but I did mentor and support you know people uh, people I'd worked with, people I'd been uh, a leader to. Uh, I was happy to provide guidance on on anything that they needed. So that I felt, I felt gave me a lot of satisfaction. So it gave me a lot of uh, reward. It made it made me feel uh, that I was making an impact. Uh, then I also joined um, a mentorship group uh, called Girl for Girls, where we mentor uh, young ladies, women, basically empowering them into leadership. And I think that has really helped. Structured program. But out of that comes a lot of connections, a lot of friends. Uh, but I, I do find most value in being able to empower others. And it's it's also uh, about um, giving back, giving back some of the knowledge I have, but also seeing myself in other, the young version of myself and other people. Because now I have um, I've grown children, uh, but I, when I see, say, a young lady struggling, I and I, you know how, how you know how sometimes you go to a restaurant and you see a young uh, waitress maybe struggling, or maybe she's new and she's struggling older. Uh, I, I I always see look at hers. Perhaps I I always imagine imagine that was my daughter and somebody was being disrespectful. So I I try to not not be disrespectful, but I I also feel that we need to be able to give support and empower. People when they are when they're just getting into jobs and they're just starting out when they are perhaps lacking confidence. I think we need to be able to support them in that. So yes, yeah, so I, I really do enjoy that. Yes, uh, talking about that, it's it's triggered a question of um of there's always that fear people usually have with empowerment, and uh, I believe the book highlighted some of them, one of them being is uh, fear of losing your job because you have empowered someone. How would you speak to that? I think if you are afraid of uh, people getting better than you, then you're not a leader. Because a leader needs to be able to, to have... I, I think most people in leadership positions understand that they cannot know everything. And they also understand that the people around them in organizations have to be better than them. Otherwise, why would they be in that position? So, for instance, if I'm the uh, managing director of a company and I've appointed a finance director, how can I be afraid that the finance director is the fin best finance director they can be? That's something that doesn't make sense. Because if he... If I'm better than him in running the finance business, why is he there? Yeah. So I've always felt that you you have to surround yourself with the best people in the different things, but you also have to look. You see, it's 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 the story. You know, the analogy of of once you reach up there, you need to be able to turn back around and reach out and help somebody, because even you are helped to get where you are. So I think. Thinking that somebody will take over the job is a very um, closed mindset. I think there's enough opportunity for all of us, uh, and I think that's a mindset that leads people to to not being able to move on. You know, your your position, you've been given a position of, of leadership. Uh, there are leaders leaders coming up behind you. You're empowering and supporting them. 
when it's your time to move on, do it gracefully. Leave the stage and let somebody else step in. You know, have a, have a, but it doesn't mean that that is the end for you because we also continue to grow even outside of just a positional role. We need to be able to continue to grow and see ourselves as, as more than just a position, positional, uh, in a positional role. I think that's important. Uh, uh, and, and as I said, it, it, it's a closed mindset if you believe that uh, empowering somebody is, um, disempowers you. I think empowering somebody empowers all of us. Okay. Now, um, this question is kind of um, drive towards um, prioritizing. So when it comes to priorities, uh, that's one of the biggest issues. Even me, I'll struggle with that. So I wanted to get your input from um, from a younger perspective of you, how to now, so from then up to now, like when you were younger and up to now, how your priorities, you know, changed and how do you manage it now? And what were the challenges you used to have when you were younger concerning prioritizing? Um. I don't know how far back you wanted to go. <laughs> you might be here the whole as day. As far as you want. It's a big problem. It's, yeah, but it's, it's, I don't want to go too far back, because then we'll be here the whole day. <laughs> so I think, it, of course, it, it depends very much on where you are in your life. So when you just joined the job, the work, in, the work, uh, work environment, you're you know, in your 20s, more flexible, more able to 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 work really hard without worrying about what's happening at home, for instance. So yes, when I was in my twenties, I worked hard, but not with a level of seriousness because I didn't have a level le level of seniority. Yes, I was middle management, but I I also had was able to balance. I never felt that pressure of being leading people or having too much responsibility. So able to balance. Working hard, working hard, but also having a good um, life outside of work. So the the balance there was good, and then comes more responsibility in the workplace, then children, family, and not having. So that was, you know, when you're getting thirties, forties, that becomes now a very difficult balance to have because then that is where. The expectations of you are really high for both in both both areas where it is you have to do you're now you know perhaps a leader in, your, in the workplace i was a leader in the workplace and also having a young family so it was it was always a challenge to do that um and you know people often say you know you, you need to balance but there's never a balance so sometimes you you have periods where you're working you know Many many long hours and the family is losing out. Uh, of course, the, the 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 good thing the thing is that you have to compensate when you're at home. You have to be at home, even if it's for for a short time. Um, so so it, it's it is a hard balance. Um, but it's it's making sure in the work that you're prioritizing what's important for you as a leader. You're setting direction and delegating to your team sufficiently to enable them to run as 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 you want them to run. I mean, as as your as the priorities are, and then you're also making sure that you're 
taking care of home by also delegating and uh, making sure you're also prioritizing that delegation. So delegation isn't, you need to make sure uh, you're doing this, this, this. Delegation is our priorities are to make sure our systems are up and running, end of days done. You know, the big thing, how they do the other things, you cannot dele delegate that, but you have to delegate your, the priority, the things that are important. At home, it's make sure the kids have eaten, homework is done, you know, those things. Now, the other things doesn't matter, yeah? as long as it, those are prioritized. Um, and then now in later years, because now the the family like there's there's not so much pressure at home, even at work it's my roles are much more strategic. Then the priority becomes uh having a, a balance across all the areas. You know they talk about work, life, uh, spiritual health, all that. Suddenly your health becomes a priority. Before honestly, to be honest, uh. When I was working hard with, and had family, very difficult to, to prioritize self-help, self-care, and all that. Now it's much easier because now I have the the time. Yes, it's a, it was a priority, obviously eating well, to putting in the, the the exercise when I could. But now it's something that I can do. You know, I can really, really prioritize because I have the time to do it. So yeah, so that's that's how. Uh, in, Concerning still that, but now in line with momentum, I believe in the book they call it the big more. Um, you know, with the, with the like what you're prioritizing and all that, but you're not seeing things working. Sometimes it's very frustrating to to proceed. So, how did you manage such situations? Uh, stubbornness and persistence. <laughs> <laughs> I think believing that something is going to happen is is having the 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 vision and saying this vision is going to happen and believing in it. That is what makes me stubborn about it. If I really really believe, of course, if if I don't, then at some stage it's like really this is not working. And it ends there, but believing, be, really, really believing, means that I, I have that ability to be very persistent. Uh, I do have a very, uh, a pretty stubborn streak, so I tend to be able to work and work at something, um, for quite a while. But I know that if I give something my all, I tend to believe that I can, I can overcome the challenges or blocks. Yeah, and and sometimes I. I stop and pause and think, okay, I want this to happen, but am I, I keep doing the same thing. Should I try something else? Should I consult someone? Because sometimes you come across a wall and you're like, no, I can't, I'm, I'm done, it's finished. But I always have that nagging thing that perhaps if I persisted, perhaps if I consulted, perhaps if I tried something different, I would have been able to move, move forward. Um, and of course there are times when you fail completely, but, um, I think sometimes persistence fails, um, and and you know you need to be able to evaluate and see if it's costing you too much. Perhaps in your health, your if it, if it's you're throwing money at things, after you be able to, you need to be able to evaluate and say perhaps it's not working for me. But I I do find that I'm quite 
um, quite persistent, quite stubborn about getting things done. So, yeah. You have to find out how stubborn you are, but anyway. Uh, uh now nowadays I'm much less stubborn, but in, in my younger years I was a lot more. Oh yeah, stubborn at the right things nowadays. Yeah, it depends. If if it's if it's too much energy, maybe not. <laughs> uh, yeah. So among the leaders you you've read in the book, who literally stood out for you and you're like, yes. Um I would say of course it has to be a woman. I'd say Mother Teresa. Yeah. Yes. That's a good one. Yes. And Maybe. what was it that stood out for you in her story? Uh it's just that uh how her ability to influence. I think when we when we look at leaders we often imagine and that's the the stereotype we have of this big guy, you know, who commanding things and you know, and have big followers who follow him because he's done great things. Uh but when you when you first of all, as he as uh, the author as the author describes, you know, when you see her, she was a small woman, you know, it was hard to imagine that she would command so much so much respect and and have so much uh, to be, you know, able to build her, her missionary and, and talk to leaders to the extent where she, you know, she's 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 putting everybody off in a room when she lectures them about. Uh, I can't remember what it was. Was it about uh, uh, abortion or whatever it was? But I I think I think she had that commitment and purpose, which really really drove her to do this. Uh, I just admire her ability to get done what she did. That's it. Work on. Um. So, uh, about that also, I think we we highlighted something to do with intuition to some point when we were talking about uh, you knowing. I think when we were talking about the timing, the law of the timing. Now, yes, your intuition. In which circumstances do you find that it has helped you? My intuition. Um. I, that's why I said I want to be able to use it more. I don't know if I can say that I have been able to really, really dial into it. But I often, um, I have intuitions about people, but I have to, it has to happen immediately. So you have, uh, we've had, we've had, uh, 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 people coming in to you know to want to do business with us etc etc you know potential partners my intuition is not about what they're saying it's about how they how what I'm reading from them so I know that is an um I don't know if you call it intuition but it's 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 mo most likely a reaction to the person but in a way which way you don't understand why you are reacting neg negatively to them. Yeah? That is the only level of intuition I have. And that is why I'm saying that I would like to be able to sometimes really tap more into it, especially when it comes to uh, 
just not knowing why something is not right, not just from meeting people, but maybe from looking at figures or if, if someone is trying to explain to you why things have, uh, have not gone the way they are, reading between those lines. I, I know that I, I have developed a sense of, I know, okay, I always know when someone's not telling the truth most of the time. I think 99% of the time. So my children were quite surprised. We were always very surprised that I would be able to tell when they were lying. And I don't know how I did that. And I can always often tell that with my team when they're not really being straight. But uh, just to be able to refine it a bit so that I'm able to use it more, um, you know, to to read between the lines almost, to, to try and get the sense that something is not right and then to, to, to further investigate what that that thing is. I think that's where I want where I want to be with them to intuition. At the moment I think it's a little it's very unrefined if you like. And I, I do I yeah. I don't know. How how do you see the intuition? Well um, studies have shown that fairies are very good at uh, detecting such things like someone lying and all that. And the, some people, I think I've read it in some book about how a guy who used to go with his wife when, you know, uh, spending time with someone who they are planning on doing business with. And the woman could easily detect when the person was, let's say it was, I think the story was about golf and the other guy was cheating in golf. And the woman was like, no, you wouldn't trust him. It's, if he's cheating on such small things now, with business, just imagine the level of that. So yeah. yeah, I feel like it's it's one of those key things. That's why me, it's always the small things which always trigger me. I'm like, ah, no, this is not a person to deal with. Because if this small thing is is really, you know, showing that he's not competent enough to do it, then the next one, I don't think we'll be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and. To make it worse is if he already still like at a young level and he are still showing those signs and symptoms, it's it's, it's not a good picture. Anyways, uh, speaking about that, uh, now when it comes to, I know you as a person who is doing a business and who has had kids, and yeah, there is the level of sacrifice when it comes to family and uh, business so definitely my my question is uh what well what are those things which you have really had to sacrifice to reach where you have reached uh sacrifice in the sense that um okay all right. There's a, been a number of sacrifices. I I must I must I must admit. There's been professional sacrifices, where I have turned down international jobs because of family. So, um, and then there's this personal sacrifice where I have sacrificed my health over work. Yeah. Um. Uh, I think those are the main ones. Uh, but I think when you say where, when you then say what have you sacrificed to reach where you've reached, I guess that is what it is. But 
when I look at where I've reached, I don't know whether I would have reached, I would have done better if I had not sacrificed. I don't know if you, you, you get it. It's almost like you've got to go through the hard stuff to, to get to where you, so I don't say to myself, uh, at this point, like the regret. pain outweighs the, yeah, but but it's very difficult to live a, a life which is not full, which ha doesn't have pain. Or, because without pain, you don't gain. I think if, if for instance, I'd taken an international job, perhaps I would not have had a family. If I had not had that hard uh, uh, work ethic, perhaps I wouldn't, I wouldn't then be able to, to give back where I, from where I am now. Um, I mean, I think it's it's one of those things where it's difficult to uh to really say for me where I stand now. I can't say I regret anything that I did, um, or that I didn't do, uh, because most of the times I was doing it in the at the time in my bet in the interest of my family or the best interest of the business I was in or the work that I was in. So at that time, it was the best decision that I had taken. So living, for instance, going looking back and regretting, I don't think it's, it it helps at all. Okay. So um, as we wind up, uh, do you find that uh, uh, this the, this book was uh, valuable to you? Yes, yes, it was very valuable. I think as as I said in the beginning. The, the laws are valuable, although I, I was laughing when I was looking at some of the examples of people who used who have turned out to be rogues, uh, like Armstrong recyclers. Um, but definitely it is valuable. Um, and I, as I said, I'm going, I'm assessing myself, evaluating myself against all the laws and seeing which ones am I good at, which ones, uh, can I improve on, um, and which ones do I just don't? I'm at a negative. Maybe I just need to 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 get a somebody who can help me with that area in my leadership journey. Because if I'm not able to lead well with that law, whatever that law might be, then perhaps I need to be tapping into somebody who has that who's good at that law. So I think that it has been very useful. Um, and I've done. I think I'm still going through the evaluation process of my leadership style and seeing where I do well. Um, there have not been. There's some laws which I've, I've, I've um, I've not really, really grasped very well. I think like the the law. Of, uh, perhaps you can tell me. There's a law of. Um, there's so many. Let me let me just go back go through. Do you have the list of laws there? Um, let me go through one by one. Uh, there is the law of the lead, the law of influence, the law of process, the law of navigation, the law of addition, the uh, law of solid ground, the law of respect, law of intuition. Okay, solid, solid ground. I think law of solid ground is 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 trust, isn't it? Was that? How did you see law on the ground? Oh, you know, my key takeaway for that one was uh, 
people before profits. Low solid ground. Yeah, that was my key takeaway. So we should rally more the people than okay. those are people I, are the ones who bring up the business. I thought it was that the, the you need to build uh, a foundation of trust. That's the one where it talks about the Vietnam War, right? Yeah, Is that I the think one? yes. Yes, I think so. That you, you need to have a foundation of trust to build in order to have to, to build leadership around that. And and that ultimately the Secretary of State, I think at the time, lied about the extent of the American casualties in the Vietnam War. And that, that uh, broke down the foundation of trust that the people, the Americans had in politicians. Okay, no, that's, that's, that's fine. Uh, go on. I think that's it for this week. Uh, thank you all for attending and I uh, look forward to seeing you in the next one.